hey, today we're going to celebrate the fact that we have a risen Savior in Jesus Christ. And uh, we are so excited for what we've got planned for you today. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things, but we're going to especially talk about the fears and the things that hold us back. And we heard a story recently of somebody in our church um, that we wanted to share with you uh, as a part of this message on Easter Sunday. So I'm going to show you the story of Corey Bolin, and uh, you'll catch the first part of it right here. Take a look. Kylie and I have attended for probably seven years now by ourselves. Uh, I always would sit there and see other people with their spouses and wish that I had that. And I wanted more for Kylie. I wanted her to have um, a spiritual leader in our house because I've been trying to do that by myself and I'm not good at it. And I know that the reason I'm not good at it is because I wasn't the one who was supposed to be leading our home in it. Um, it was supposed to be Corey doing that. Growing up, grew up mostly in primarily a Jewish household. Um, so we had talked about Jesus, but it was always, hey, he's a good prophet, but he's not the son of God, son of man. Went to church a couple times, some friends of mine, uh, just for Easter or Christmas service, but never really was even active in a church or a temple for a number of years. Um, always believe in God, but never a big fan of organized religion. Uh, when I met my wife, Sonia, she started going to Genesis, and I didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, kind of said that on Sunday my church was football, so I went to football church. I didn't go to an actual physical church. Uh, so I didn't feel a need to go to organized, attend religion. I said, I don't need that. I'm good. Kind of last year had some bouts of depression, uh, thoughts of suicide. And... Uh, Hold. Something was missing, and I didn't know what. All right, let's find out more about Christianity as a faith. Find out more about Jesus, because I knew about Jesus from my Jewish background in the historical sense. But I don't, didn't know Jesus in the spiritual sense. I'm going, okay, what's, what's stopping me? And it came to me, light as day. It was almost like a billboard was in front of me. It was fear. Fear. The most rational emotion that we have as humans is fear. Uh, and I said, okay, God, fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to let go fully, to excite to say to God and to say to Jesus and to accept his son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior because I won't be in control anymore. You know, I'm not going to be in control of my life. Uh, to say, I'm going to give, I'm going to give myself fully to your son to guide my life. I'm not in control. Well, I promise you'll get to hear the rest of Corey's story before you leave today. Um, but there's something that he said in there that really jumped out at me as we were preparing for today. And it's this. He said uh, that fear was holding him back, but he said fear is the most irrational human emotion there is. 
Do you agree with that? I agree with that. I think that's, I think that's spot on, that, that we all know everybody has something that we're afraid of, right? And we know in our minds that the things we're afraid of are things that we probably shouldn't be afraid of. But sometimes we're afraid of them anyway. Like, I am deathly afraid of snakes, like paralyzingly afraid of snakes. In fact, uh, I remember one time, probably 15 years ago, 12 years ago, my wife and I went to Arizona for uh, four days, and we went hiking one day. We were hiking up Squaw Peak, which is in Phoenix, and uh, we get about halfway up, and there's a rattlesnake in the middle of the path. Now, I did not freak out even though normally I would have, but I didn't freak out because it was surrounded by people. There were people there that were taking pictures. There was a guy like poking it with a stick. And I'm like, I just gave it a really wide berth. You know, I took, I took probably 50 feet around it maybe. I don't know. There was a cliff there, so I didn't want to go too far the other way. But it didn't really do anything to me because there were people around it, except it cemented in my mind the idea that there are rattlesnakes in Arizona. And so fast forward about three years, we went back to Arizona and we were hiking in a place called South Mountain Park, which is on the south side of Phoenix. And I'm walking uh, down this trail. I get, no kidding, like 50 steps from the car, and I hear this rattle, and I stop, dead in my tracks. And I'm looking around. I'm looking around. I don't see anything, so I keep walking. About 10 more steps, I hear it again, and I stop, and I'm looking. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I heard a rattle. Stop. Don't go anywhere, you know, and and she's kind of, yeah, whatever. And she just walks on down the trail and she's getting way ahead of me. And so I'm like, oh no, now I'm by myself. She's smaller than I am. So like maybe if, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> you know, if worse came to worse, come on. I'm just kidding. And so, uh, well, so I find out that there's this, there's this bush in Arizona they have called brittle brush. And uh, it has these seed pods on it and they dry out in the spring. Uh, so that they can produce new seeds. And when the wind blows through this bush, it sounds exactly, exactly <laughs> like a rattlesnake. And then once, even when I found that out, though, it didn't stop me. I'd still walk 10 steps, and I'd hear this rattle, and I'd stop, and my wife would just laugh. She just thought it was so funny that I was deathly afraid of a bush. You know, <laughs> Like when we go to the zoo, I can't go to the reptile exhibit at the Indianapolis Zoo. You know where I'm talking about? If you go through the deserts area, there's a reptile exhibit in the back. They have all these snakes in cages. And it's not because snakes in cages are intimidating to me. They're not. But inevitably, there's one cage that the snake is missing. And I'm convinced that he has somehow, he knew I was coming. And he has crawled out of the cage up to the ceiling. I don't know why I always think they're going to go overhead. And back behind me, and he's waiting there. And as soon as I come up to the cage and look, he's going to like tap me on the calf. I'm like, I'm ready for you. You know, I was waiting for you. It's like, they always have these names like the, the indigenous Burmese biting viper. And I'm like, like, how can you not be afraid of that? But I know some of you aren't afraid of that, right? But you, you're laughing at me. But you all have things that you're afraid of that I might laugh at too. Like, like go ahead. What, tell the person next to you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? See, you're all laughing at everybody else's fear. Not laughing at your own fear. Some of these fears are so common that we've actually given them a name, right? And so like, I'll just give you some examples and you might be able to know what these are. So like if I said this one, if I said arachnophobia, you know, it's the fear of spiders. Anybody have arachnophobia? Yeah, I see some hands in the room. Ha! That's funny. What can a spider do to you? Okay, here's, here's one that's a little tougher. How about this one? How about coolerophobia? Coolerophobia. Anybody know what that is? It's the fear of clowns. I put this picture up last night and about three people went, ah! I don't get it. Not scary to me. Uh, how, about, how about this one? How about 
politicophobia. You can probably guess this one, right? <laughs> it's a real thing. It's the fear of these five people. <laughs> Anybody suffering from politicophobia right now? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. It's all right. How about this one? This is homilophobia. Homilophobia. You know what this is? It's the fear of sermons and messages. Some of you have this. I know. I look out every week and see it. And then how about this one? This last one. Thanatophobia. Anybody know what thanatophobia is? It's the fear of death. You're not laughing now, are you? Death is something a lot of us fear. How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Has anybody seen the website deathclock.com? Deathclock.com? It's, it's a website where you can uh, go and enter some information about yourself, some basic information, your, your sex, height, weight, uh, birth date, and then a couple of lifestyle questions. And it spits out for you your estimated date of expiration. And so I did that this week. And uh, my date <laughs> is Friday, April 9th, 2066. That's pretty good, right? I got another 50 years. Um, you know what my first thought was when I saw it? Why a Friday? Like, that's my day off. Oh, I got to die on my day off. Can't we do it on Monday? Everything else bad happens on a Monday. And then my second thought was, that's like a week before my birthday. And so I just told my wife, hey, honey, don't order the ice cream cake for my 96th birthday, okay? I'm not going to be needing it. So you go to this site, and then there's a a friendly little counter that pops up uh, that tells you how many seconds you have left in your life, and it keeps counting them down every second. And then there's this little reminder that pops up if you're there too long that says that reminds you that your life is slowly ticking away. You can tell it's a real uplifting website. I recommend that you all go there this afternoon to make yourself a happy Easter. But if you keep looking, what you notice is that they provide you with some things, some action steps that you can take. And so if you're not happy with your death clock date, you can extend your life. How? Well, it's not through diet or exercise or any of that boring stuff that we always talk about. It's by taking vitamins. You can order some vitamins on the website. So there's nothing like a Flintstone tablet can't fix, right? There's another option there. If your death clock date is fairly close, you can uh, help get somebody to help you write your obituary or plan your funeral. There's a link to help you with that. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't interest me much, writing my obituary or my funeral. It's not, not my idea of a good time and especially not how I want to spend my Easter Sunday. But I think the website helps us to understand this reality. And the reality is that our earthly bodies are passing away. Like We are perishing. There's no doubt about that. And if you're anywhere past the age of about 28, you probably feel the effects of that every day in one way or another. Our earthly bodies are passing away. We are perishing, and maybe that scares you. But here's the thing. When we believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear anything anymore. In fact, if you've got your notes, if you're taking notes either on the app or on the card, I want you to write this down. The resurrection of Jesus means we don't have to be afraid. The resurrection of Jesus means we don't have to be afraid. We don't even have to fear death. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, That's where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. Matthew 28. If you have a a phone or a tablet that you read your Bible on, go ahead and get that out. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one that looks like this on the floor around you. Uh, Go ahead and pick that one up. It's page 698 in this Bible, page 698. And I just want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home or you don't have one that you can read, take this one with you. This is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have something that you can read uh, the Word of God with. I want to take a look at this story from Matthew 28, and I'll show you what I mean that we don't have to be afraid. 
And we'll talk about how that can play out in our life for the rest of the rest of the service today. Matthew 28, verse 1. It says this, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, how'd you like to be known as the other Mary? You got to wonder if Matthew had like a beef with her or something. It's like being the other guy from Wham, right? There was George Michael and then there's somebody else. And we all remember George and nobody remembers the other guy, right? Well, Mary, this Mary, uh, so there's Mary Magdalene. We see her several, in several stories in Scripture. And this other Mary is probably, most scholars think, the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary. So there were, if you think about this family, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her sister was named Mary. Kind of weird, right? But Mark, uh, it doesn't say this in Matthew, but in Mark, he notes that Salome was with them too. Now, Salome, we know as the mother of James and John, who are two of Jesus' disciples. The one story that always sticks out in my mind about Salome is a time when they were walking down the road and Salome asked Jesus very boldly that her sons, James and John, could have the two places of honor in the kingdom of God when they died. So she's a pretty bold woman. You might think she had a strained relationship with Jesus, but clearly that's not it. She was at the resurrection uh, they're at the tomb uh, to witness the resurrection. Now, all three of them had been at the cross as well. And it was custom to go down to the tomb and anoint the body. It was a sign of respect. It was kind of like if you go lay flowers on the grave of someone you love, it's a sign of respect. And, and to go anoint the body was a sign of respect and love. So verse 2, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, if you know the story, the whole story, you know that there was an earthquake when Jesus was crucified as well. And then there's a violent earthquake at this moment. Now, this is not a tremor. It's not an aftershock. The Bible says it's a violent earthquake. It's an earthquake that symbolized the world's most defining moment, the moment when the Son of God was raised from the dead. Now, one of the things that sticks out to me in verse 2 is this angel this angel is just sitting on top of the stone. It kind of remi- it's kind of a sign of confidence, almost a sign of pride. It's like, um, do you ever race somebody to the car? And when you get there, like they're sitting on the hood, reclined, like <gasps> trying not to breathe real hard, like I've been here forever, you know? And I think this angel is kind of like that. He's sitting on the stone, like, where, where have you guys been? But he's sitting there with great confidence, probably beaming in pride. So if the sight of the stone rolled away, these three women are coming to see Jesus, to anoint the body of Jesus. They see the stone rolled away, and they feel an earthquake. If that's not enough, they see this angel sitting there. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when we see angels in TV or in movies, they're always pretty and clean and white and have nice white teeth. But whenever you read about an angel in Scripture, somebody's afraid. Like they're afraid of their power and majesty. So this angel is there, and the women are scared. His appearance was like lightning, it says, verse 3. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, this is really funny because these guards were brave Roman soldiers, right? They would have had weapons. And when they got the assignment to go guard a tomb, you had to know what they were thinking, right? This is the easiest job I've ever had. I've got to make sure that a dead man doesn't come out of the tomb. Like, it's like a weekend off, right? I mean, here they are, the Rome's finest soldiers, and their job is to make sure that the dead guy doesn't get up. Pretty easy, right? But you've you got to know that when they get back to town to tell their superiors what happened, they're going to be like, you had one job, and you, you let it go. You know, the dead guy got up and left. Verse 4, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, 
For I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where we lay. See, the angel rolled away the stone, I think, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that the women could see in. And they could see the miracle that was waiting for them. And he had a message for these women. And the message was, do not be afraid. He's not here. Don't be afraid. What you should know, because he says, just as he said, he has risen just as he said, what you should know is that at least three times that we have in Scripture, Jesus predicted that he would be killed and that he would be raised from the dead. At least three times. It's kind of like that moment in history when Babe Ruth points at the bleachers and then knocks the ball out of the park. Right? He does just as he predicted. Well, Jesus does just as he predicted. And by the way, if you read much from the Old Testament and the prophecies about Jesus, what you'll see is that there are, on the last three days of this story, there are so many prophecies about Jesus that are fulfilled in the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like that, that Jesus always does what was promised. He always comes through. Verse 7, it says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So these three women are, take, are given the charge of taking this good news. It's good news, right? But confusing news. These three women have the charge of taking that to Jesus' disciples, to his best friends, to the people that uh, walked with him and lived with him and were closest to him. These three women are the ones that are going to take this message to the rest of the world. And if they don't take it, then uh, it's not going to go. Now, Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ, says that one of the primary reasons that he believes uh, that the resurrection really happened is because the news was given to women to take. Now, you need to know that in this day and in this culture, the testimony of women didn't mean much. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. Their testimony wouldn't hold up. And in fact, most women weren't even allowed to speak in public. And so if you were going to concoct a story about a resurrection, about a man who came back from the dead, you wouldn't have given the story to women first. You would have given it to men, in fact, very important men, so that people would believe it. But he didn't. He gave it to women. These women were the ones that take it. And so that gives the story 2,000 years later, gives it even more credibility that it happened and that it got out. By the way, that's a cultural issue, women being subordinated to men. It's not a Christian issue. Like Jesus lifted up women. He elevated women in his ministry. He, he, he touched them. He healed them. He traveled with them. He actually allowed some of them to support him financially. It's just one more way that Jesus turned culture upside down. And so when we, whenever we see women uh, oppressed or objectified by men, that's not a Christian thing. That's a culture thing. All right, verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Doesn't that say it all? Afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Hello. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Now, you should know that in the Middle East, at this time, to fall at someone's feet or to grab their feet was a sign of worship. It was a sign of homage. You know, it was a sign of, of respect. It was, they were recognizing Jesus, not just that he was Jesus, the person that they had known, but it's a sign that they recognized who Jesus was, who he said he was. That he had come back from the dead, just like he said. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. There's that command again. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. For these women, and soon for the disciples, the resurrection of Jesus meant they did not have to be afraid. 
And for many of us today that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we don't need to be afraid either. We don't have anything to fear. And maybe those are just the words you needed to hear today. Maybe you have no idea why you're here, but you came because you needed to hear the Lord say to you, you don't have to fear anymore. Do you know this is one of the most repeated commands in all of Scripture? Old Testament and New Testament, we are told not to fear. We're not told to pray to not be afraid. We're told don't be afraid. We're not told to pray for courage. We're told to have courage. Over and over again, Jesus reminds us that when we have him in our lives, we don't have to fear. And so when you're questioning whether or not your life really matters to anyone or matters to God, Jesus reminds us, don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. When you're going through frightening times, Jesus reminded his disciples, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you're out of hope, you've got nowhere to turn. He tells us in Mark 5, don't be afraid. Just believe. And when you're struggling with purpose and direction, we're reminded of some other men that were struggling with purpose or direction when Jesus gave them the charge to his first disciples, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. When you're trapped by fear, you're terrified about where this world is headed, just remember the resurrected Jesus telling you, telling these women, and thereby telling you, you don't have to be afraid. We don't have to give in to fear and anxiety and worry. The resurrection of Jesus means we don't have to be afraid. And in fact, if you're afraid of death, you know for a fact that Jesus has overcome death. So you don't have to be afraid of that. What fears threaten to overtake you today? What is it that's keeping you from that next step in your relationship with God? Is there a relationship that has you afraid? Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a, 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 a romantic relationship, or maybe it's a friendship, something that was going really well, but now it's not going so well, and you're not sure that it's going to make it. There's too much distance. There's too much conflict. The resurrected Jesus says, don't be afraid. Maybe for you, it's a health concern. You've been to the doctor and they can't figure it out or they have figured it out and it's just bad or you're afraid to go to the doctor because you don't know what he's going to say and you're just kind of hiding and you're living in fear. You don't have to be ruled by fear. You don't have to be consumed by fear. Jesus tells us that. Maybe it's the November election. You know, hear the resurrected Jesus say, don't be afraid. Or maybe it's the fear of death. Maybe it's questions, fear, uncertainty about your day or when your time will come. With the resurrected Jesus, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be afraid or consumed by fear. Easter is good news. It is good news. It's good news for the women. It's good news for the disciples. It's good news for us. It means that death has been defeated, that God wins. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we don't have to live in fear anymore. And what Jesus said back then, more than 2,000 years ago, he says to us today, you don't have to be afraid. How can I know that? How can we know that the message that Jesus had for them back there still stands for us 2,000 years later. Well, there's three reasons. I put these in your notes if you want to follow along. We'll go through them pretty quickly. Uh, number one is this. In Jesus, we have a Savior. In Jesus, we have a Savior. He is the Son of God who came to earth as a man. He lived a life fully dependent on God, a perfect life, a life that you and I could never live. And then he gave up his perfect life. He laid it down on the cross to satisfy the penalty for our sins. You and I, we have sin in our lives. We, we make mistakes. We do things that we're not proud of. And we can't pay for our sin. But the good news is we don't have to. It's already been paid for. Jesus had to do that, and he did. He paid for all of your sin and all of my sin, all of my past sin 
and my present sin and my future sin on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for you, all of your sin was future sin. Jesus paid for it all. And you don't have to pay it. It's like this. How many of you have a mortgage payment or or a loan of any kind? So let's say you're every month you're writing a check for your mortgage payment or you're you know, using online banking and they're sending a check. And one month you get a check back in the mail from your bank. And so you call up the bank and you say, what, what gives? I sent in my mortgage payment. It got sent back to me. And they said, no, I'm sorry. Your mortgage has been paid in full. They're like, Hawaii, yes. But I tell you what you won't do. You won't keep sending a check month after month after month trying to make that payment, right? Because it's already been paid in full. The bank told you it's been paid. But a lot of us do that with our relationship with God, don't we? We know that Jesus paid for our sin, but yet we keep trying to make it up to God. We keep trying to perform well enough to earn his uh, good stead. We can't do that. And we don't have to do that. It's already been paid. It's, it's, there's no greater example of love than the love Jesus paid for us, displayed for us on the cross. Most of you know the verse John 3, 16, even if you're not a Christian or you're not in church very much, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, we're perishing, remember, shall not perish, but have eternal life. But most of us don't know John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's a savior. Do you know him as your savior? The second way we know we don't have to be afraid is in Jesus, we have a Lord. In Jesus, we have a Lord. Whether you call him Lord or not, that's who he is. And when we submit our lives to him, we don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, the word Lord is the most commonly used word to refer to Jesus. It's what the disciples called him more than anything else. He was Lord, he was, rap- he was Lord more than anything. The, the word Lord means to recognize him as leader, guide, protector, director, provider, and so many other things. That he is the, the head of our life. And because Jesus defeated death, he is the Lord of all. Colossians 1 says it this way, the Son is the invisible image, or the image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of an invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. That sounds like Lord to me. In everything, he is the Lord of all. But you, you, you get to decide if he's the Lord of you. You have to choose if Jesus is going to be the Lord of you. You can choose now. You can surrender your life to him now and surrender your will to his will now and choose him to be the Lord in your life. In everything, in every situation in your life, in every conflict, every worry, every fear, if he is your Lord, you don't have to be afraid. And the third reason we don't have to be afraid is this. In Jesus, we have a king. In Jesus, we have a king. Revelation says he's not just the Lord of lords, but he's king of kings as well. Hebrews 1 says it this way. I love this. He says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. It's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels, people, angels, Jesus, as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Philippians 2 says he is the name above all names, that the name Christ is above every other name. He is the king of kings. I love how N.T. Wright describes the resurrection of Jesus as God's announcement of a new world, a new kingdom, one where he is now in charge on earth as it is in heaven. He's the king of kings, and God's being in charge is focused on Jesus being savior, Lord and King. Because he's the King of Kings, it means that the whole world belongs to him. If we are in Christ, we are part of his kingdom. We are part of the work of restoration that God is doing in this world. And what Jesus said to these women 2,000 years ago, he says to you and me, go, go and tell others, go and live for me, go and tell others because of me, because this is true, you need to go tell somebody. You don't have to be afraid. The resurrection reminds us that we don't have to be afraid. And Corey, in his fear, was reminded that he doesn't have to be afraid either. He had gone with me and our family for Christmas Eve because the kids were singing the first song in the service and... Um, Kylie really wanted him to go and hear that. When I was standing up on the stage, I could see my dad and the rest of my family there. It was really cool because I don't think I've ever seen like the whole entire family smiling before, just like looking down on it. And the message was great that night. And I don't know if that's what started it for him or if something had been working in his heart previous. But from there, um, he just kept coming back. Previous to that, he had already been asked to go on the Haiti team for February. I had always been interested in Haiti, so it was just odd that God said, this spot's opened up, did I want to go? Yes. Before going to Haiti, I was looking for a sign. I needed a sign, I needed a feeling to say from God that, boom, here you go, you're gonna accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I needed a sign, I needed to kind of understand what was stopping me from doing that. I kind of figured, okay, does God have a plan here? He wants me to go to Haiti, why? On that roof in Haiti, told my story. Uh, again, some of the feeling, needing to fill that longing. And somebody on that rooftop said, can we pray for you? And I said, you know, I, Corey Bowen, that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm trying to get through it without, you know, being all emotional. That didn't happen. <laughs> I got, Corey FaceTimed us from Haiti. He broke down just crying. And he told me, he goes, I accepted Jesus Christ. And I just lost it at that point, too. It was really great. And he shared, um, he realizes that he's been broken and he's being built back up. And I've been sitting on the sidelines watching God break him. And as hard as that's been to see, it's also been really, really amazing. So every day I think I'm giving up a little bit more to Christ and, and saying, you know, I want to be a vessel for Christ. I want to be a vessel for God to say how wonderful it is to accept Jesus Christ. Um, all the pain and suffering doesn't go away. You still have things to work on, but you know I feel a lot better than I did previous to that point. 
When I have those feelings of fear and, and uh, some of the negative emotions that happen in my life, I think now I'm able to look at Scripture and kind of get some uh, guidance from Scripture and also pray. Pray on it and pray for uh, guidance. Think about it. You have, you have the power of You have the power of a loving Father behind you. And, uh, it's pretty great. <laughs>said what was holding him back was fear what is it for you what's that thing that's preventing you from taking your next step you know I don't know if deathclock.com is right or not it's pretty scientific but but if I really have 50 years left I want to spend them doing something significant with my life don't you and whether you've got a year left or 10 years left or 50 years left. Don't you want to do something that matters with the rest of it? And I've got to tell you that 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is your relationship with God. You know, where you lived won't matter. What you did for a living won't matter. What you drove won't matter. The only thing that will matter 100 years from now is your relationship with God. Two questions. What did I do with Jesus? And what did I do with God? With what God gave me? Those are the two questions you'll have to answer 100 years from now. That's the only thing that's going to matter. And for each and every one of us, no matter where we are, if, you've, if you're not a Christian, if you've just become a Christian, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, there's something in your life that's holding you back from taking that next step. There's, for all of us, there's a next step we can take in that relationship. And for most of us, there's something holding us back from that. So you get this uh, piece of black paper when you walked in. We're going to give you a chance today to name that thing and to go leave it at the cross. You know, when you walked in, you got this piece of black paper and this is to ensure your privacy. This is not for anybody around you. This is a private moment between you and God. And what we're gonna do in just a minute, the band's gonna play a song and you can grab a pen. There's pens in the seat back pockets in front of you. And you can write down on this piece of paper the one thing that's holding you back from taking that next step in your relationship with God. And you can take it to the back of the room where you'll find a cross waiting for you. And you can just leave it at the cross. Why at the cross? Well, because before Jesus went to the cross, he took on all of our sin and all of our shame and he was nailed to a cross. And then what we didn't see in the resurrection story is that when, that even though Jesus got out of the tomb, when the women looked in, what they saw was that the grave clothes were still sitting there. And, and a lot of experts say that those grave clothes may have weighed a hundred pounds or more, that they would have really weighed down uh, the body of Christ, but they didn't go with him. The stuff that was weighing him down stayed in the tomb. It wasn't resurrected. So whatever we take to the cross is going to be left at the cross. It won't be brought back to life. It'll be dead there. And so for you, maybe like Corey, you're afraid of what it might mean to start a relationship with Jesus, to make him your savior. Maybe it's a lack of understanding that you need, need a savior. What, what's keeping you? If you've never made that decision to ask Jesus to be your savior, why not? Why not today? You can make that decision. The simple act of maybe writing down that objection will overcome it. Or maybe... Maybe Jesus is your Savior, but you've never made him your Lord. In other words, there's a, an area of your life that you've not given over to God. Or there's an area, there are areas in your life. Maybe it's a sin 
Maybe it's a habit that you've developed. Maybe it's something you're obsessed with that is your Lord above Jesus. Maybe for you, it's just your, your schedule. Like, I don't have time to make Jesus my Lord. I got all this other stuff going on in my life. What is it? Write it down. Take it to the cross. Maybe Jesus is both your Lord and Savior, but he's not your king. You have a hard time recognizing him as king. In other words, you, you get overwhelmed with fear about all the circumstances. You're afraid of new terror attacks happening. You're afraid of the November election. You know, we got a saying in my house, it doesn't matter who's president, Jesus is going to be king. Maybe whatever that is, you need to write that down and you need to go leave it at the cross. When, when the angel rolled away the stone and, and we saw that the tomb was empty, Jesus declared victory over everything holding you back. Everything in your life can be defeated by the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. He can take a life, even your life, even if you've given up on it, and he can bring it back from the dead. Do you believe that? I believe that. Do you believe that? Yeah. Then let's take those things that are weighing us down and let's lay them at the cross. You can do that right now. We can know that we can find victory in the name of Jesus.